Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of probably what will be about three parts on CTRography. You remember I left off on part one speaking about transitional cell carcinomas, talking about their frequency, the fact that they're more common in older patients, more common in men, and the fact there are a number of different um, uh, situations where it's more frequent, from analgesic abuse to heavy caffeine consumption. I also commented that as we'll look, uh, transitional cells have a very classic appearance most of the time, but at times, particularly when they're very large, can be impossible to separate from renal cell carcinoma, lymphoma, metastasis, and occasionally from XGP, though that typically isn't a problem because XGP has a large stone. There have been several articles. We've published some, but let me just give you a couple articles along the way. Here's a comment that CTRography allows detection of urinary tract tumors and calculi, assessment of perirenal tissues and staging of lesions, and perhaps may offer the opportunity for one-stop shopping in the evaluation of hematuria and uh, in the evaluation of suspected TCCs, and that in the future CTRography would become the definitive study for the patient with suspected or as follow-up for TCC. So these comments are indeed true. Um, I think, you know, this article is three years old now. Um, it's CT with CTRography, particularly at 64 slides, particularly when you know how to do 3D imaging and understand some of the pitfalls, is the only way to go. So let's look at some examples. Here's early phase imaging, soft tissue mass, axial images. You see it in the renal pelvis. You really can localize it to the local polycalices, um, you know, very nicely on the coronal display. And you can see the same thing on the 3D display. There's a soft tissue mass filling in the lower pole calyx to the left kidney. There's a tumor. There's not many choices. This is a transitional cell. It's hypovascular. Could be blood clot. Could it be a fungus ball. You could name other filling defects in the differential diagnosis. A non-opaque stone. But this is going to be transitional cell carcinoma. When you look at it on late phase imaging and excretory phase, you see the soft tissue mass, but look how much better you see it when you go to the uh, coronal display. You see the soft tissue mass. You see the amputation of the calyx to the lower pole. Classic example. Another case, look at this one. Early phase imaging, left kidneys have been enlarged. There's a mass infiltrating the medial aspect of the mid to lower pole of the left kidney. Now, could this be a hypovascular renal cell carcinoma? Could this be lymphoma? Could this be metastasis? I guess those are possibilities. But when you look at the lesion, it's really growing into the pelvis. And again, here's MIP images. Here's another MIP image. Here's a coronal display. You begin to see how it's infiltrating into the cortex, but into the collecting system. And uh, this is more typical for a transitional cell carcinoma. But again, we're thinking of a differential. But look at the excretory phase imaging. Now you see the amputation of the calyx. You see the tumor growing into the calyces. Very, very classic appearance for a transitional cell. Another case, hematuria. Look at the right kidney. When you look at the right kidney, there is a... Uh, differential function right to left kidney, but there's a mass that's mildly vascular in the renal pelvis on the right. And again, transitional cell carcinomas do have some vascularity, but relative to what we would consider classic clear cell adenocarcinomas of the kidney are truly hypovascular. Here you see it axially. There's a soft tissue mass there, kind of like the first case I showed you. You take it, however, again into 3D. Now you really, when you accentuate 
the uh, mapping, you really see that lesion very nicely. And of course, when you get the excretory phase images, you particularly see it well, because now it's filling in the calyx, filling in the pelvis, amputating upper pole, very classic for transitional cell carcinoma. Very nice example. Now, in a patient like this, uh, this is a patient with a history of bladder cancer looking for TCC. Could there be multiple sites? Well, the first thing you see is obstruction of the left kidney, delayed function, thickening and enhancement of the wall of the renal pelvis on the left. The stranding there, there's something going on. Well, guess what? You get late phase images, and look what happens. Look at the uh, proximal left ureter and left pelvis. When you look very carefully, you can see it's infiltrated. It's encased. That's a transitional cell carcinoma. Beautiful example in this patient with an ileal loop. Now, this is a very nice example of CT urography. To me, CT urography needs to be in 3D. You can't be doing it in axial displays. Now, there have been articles, and here was one talking about uh, transitional cells, talking about 3D imaging not being good enough. Now, look at the key words here. Static 3D reconstructions, and these were done by the technologists. Well, there's no doubt that if you want to do 3D imaging, you want to do CT urography, it has to be interactive. Now, in this series, they missed one-third of the cases, but they found them retrospectively. So again, imaging indeed becomes so critical. Now, now one other thing to note about the study, it was four and eight slice CT. Now we're at 64 slice, and that makes all the difference in the, wor in the world, particularly with smaller lesions, which are probably the ones they missed. And again, the point being interactive reconstructions, interaction with the data is the only way to do it. Now, there's been another recent article. Here's from Dr. Kawamoto at Hopkins. High-resolution images obtained with th thin section, 64-slice MDCT. Played an increasing role in the accurate detection and assessment of transitional cell carcinomas. Um, and local extension of tumors and location of tumor relative to kidney and adjacent organs are well shown on MPR and 3D images. So it's very important to recognize those last statement. MPR and 3D images. So you really need to do things. It's sort of a global visualization, things that we speak about routinely all the time. Examples, look at this case. Beautiful CT urogram. Look at the upper pole calyx. Look at the infundibulin there. You see how it's narrowed? You see how it's encased? It's easy when you look at that image. But look how not so easy it is, just looking at even a detailed coronal. You see the lesion, but it's subtle. But boy, it's not as subtle on that 3D reconstructions. So again, understand why it's important. And you can see in this case, the patient had a stent in place. And you can see I can hide the stent, to show you the stent. But what I really show nicely on the multiple views is the tumor. And you can see when you change the rendering, when you use a curved planar reconstruction tracking along the, along the uh, ureter and into the calyces, you can see the eccentric nature of the patient's lesion uh, nicely shown. When you look at this set of images very carefully, you see the stent in the renal pelvis, but you really appreciate the soft tissue mass, which is the transitional cell carcinoma, and the curved planar reconstructions are excellent to course and define the lesion. And again, yes, you can see it when you're looking very carefully at the axials, but better understanding on the 3D, and you may have missed it on the axial, which was the case here. This case also shows the importance of very wide windows. With very dense contrast, it's easy to hide a lesion. You need to get this type of opacification. Now, 
I mentioned before, and I showed you a few examples of transitional cell carcinoma and commented on the bladder. Now, what about CT urography as it relates to the bladder? Well, the issue always is if you give IV contrast, no matter how long you wait, it's hard to really distend the bladder optimally. And we know this from trauma studies where you just miss lesions, you miss perforations. We know this from doing CT for staging bladder cancer or detecting bladder cancer, that whether you use air or water or positive contrast, unless you distend the bladder, you're not going to do a good job. So when you want to really look at the bladder, you need to do a dedicated bladder study, and that's a CT cystogram. And we often do this as part of the CT urogram. It's a lot of different possibilities. But the way you do it is Foley has to be in the bladder. We take a bag of 500 cc's of saline, add 25 to 30 cc's of Omni 350, we shake it, then we drip it into the patient under gravity. That indeed works very nicely. Very easy way of doing these studies. And we'll show examples looking at that very carefully, but it's really what you want to be able to do. So for example, if you look at this next case, you know, you want to look at the bladder in this patient. I don't care how long you wait. The bladder is not just not going to be distended. Yes, you got to clamp the Foley, but still it's hard to distend the bladder with a positive contrast in this situation. On the other hand, the cystogram, look how nicely that concentration we use is. It's bright, but not too bright. It doesn't cause artifacts. Here's the sagittal view, and here's the 3D view showing you nicely the balloon. And again, you can look at the bladder. There's a little air bubble there. Very, very nice visualizations. Another example, you can do a CT cystogram and an IV study at the same time. And here's a good example of, of uh, bladder diverticulum. Here's another patient where it was a trauma case. Now remember, trauma, you really are going to miss bladder injuries unless you do the study correctly. Well, here we put contrast in the patient's bladder. Yes, there is a pelvic hematoma. And yes, there is acetabular fractures. And you remember that the that it's uncommon to see bladder injury unless you have acetabular fractures. And then we typically wonder about intra versus extra peritoneal rupture. But in this case, when you look at all the images, there is pelvic hematoma, there is displacement of bowel, but the key thing is, despite the fractures, there is no bladder injury. Another example, sacral fracture, S1, S2 on the left, and here's contrast in the patient's bladder. And we do some reconstructions, right acetabular fracture, uh, pelvic hematoma, but again, same situation. We look at things in multiple perspectives and we see no evidence of the patient's uh, of injury to the bladder. And again, 3D mapping works very nicely here. Again, using all of your tools to really optimize visualization. And in this case, say yes, there's a fracture, yes, there's a pelvic hematoma, but that no, there's no bladder injury. And that's, of course, opposed to this case. Look at the bladder here, pelvic hematoma, but look at the extravasation of contrast axially and then sagittally. We can see very nicely the extravasation of contrast, posterior upper wall of the bladder. And again, very, very simple example. Now, if you look at another case, this patient, uh, we're looking for a leak in the pelvis. There's some fluid in the pelvic sidewall. But hard to tell much about that fluid, or maybe it's bowel. Very hard to say what exactly is going on. Well, what you do in this case is you put contrast in the patient's bladder, and now you can see the patient had a small focal perforation that really by this time had somewhat wheeled or make that walled itself off. Uh, very nice example. 
you know, no large extravasation, but you can see a small area of extravasation. And this patient was treated conservatively, and this did heal with time. But again, the only way you're going to define these collections is to distend the bladder maximally. We do it under gravity, so there's no issue with the potential for rupture. You're not going to see that problem occur. We're not forcing um, contrast into the bladder, but it's by gravity. Another example. Uh, if you're thinking about a fistula to the bladder, colovesical fistula, you could do rectal contrast, that's one way, or you can do a CT cystogram. Here you're going to see the bladder walls thickened anteriorly, superiorly, and there's a tract coming off the bladder. This could be bladder cancer growing out, but you can see here the communication between colon and bladder. Again, could this be a bladder cancer invading the colon? It's possible. Could it be a colon cancer invading the bladder? It's possible. Uh, the most common cause of enterovesical fistula is diverticulitis, Crohn's is second, Crohn's is on the right side, uh, diverticulitis left side or superiorly. Beautiful example, here's a few more reconstructions of that, very nicely showing you the communication to colon, and this was proven at surgery to be a uh, colovesical fistula secondary to diverticular disease. Again, if this, you said this was cancer, it would be hard to argue that cancer with fistulization, but the one thing you have is very nice fistulization. Another case, look at this example. Uh, this patient has had a uh, prostatectomy. Look into the pelvis. You see the contrast extravasation present? See the surgical clips? Look how nicely when you render it you can see that extravasation. A robotic prostatectomy will often give you intraperitoneal contrast extravasation. Um, very nice example here, tracking toward the pelvic sidewall. Here's just some 3D images showing it very nicely. Now, we have cases like this. This is a pediatric patient who was getting abdominal distension. They want to know how well this suprapubic catheter was doing. Well, it looks okay when it goes in, but look what happens. There it is again in color. But look what happens when you get inside. Well, the catheter is not in the bladder. You put contrast in the abdomen. And you're really putting the abdominal cavity, not in the bladder, and you see all the bowel loops uh, being defined. A couple other comments about the bladder. Uh, with bladder cancers, you know, we can't pick them up incidentally. Um, how well you do for bladder cancers is defined a lot by how much distension you actually give. And you can see this nice example with the filling defect in the bladder. I show it in a positive and I show it in a neutral mode, and that indeed works. But, um, you know, what else? Well, this is a tumor. Negative display nicely shows it. Positive display nicely shows it. So, again, you've got to be able to give this uh, bladder distension. Now, I will say, and you can see in this example, again, CT urography, nice bladder distension. There at about 2 o'clock is a bladder cancer. I will make the point, again, that if you did early phase imaging, which we do in patients over 50, we scan the pelvis, bladder cancers which are not hypervascular will still enhance. So that's one of the pearls. You want to look at the bladder in patients over 50 when they have hematuria because maybe you'll pick up an incidental bladder cancer. Now the truth is if you see nothing on CT they'll probably do cystoscopy but again you like to get the answer right. Another example. Look at the masses or lobulated masses in the patient's right side of the bladder. Very very nice appearance. These can be polypoid, you know, all different descriptions. Can be large and bulky. Here's a good example of very extensive tumor in the bladder. You'll also notice some high density centrally, but that is actually hemorrhage. Bladder cancers will, like many cancers, bleed. 
And here's a very nice visualization of that blood indeed. Now let's go back to this case. Okay, patient's going to screen in contrast. Well, look when you look carefully, you reverse the ramp. That's a mass in the bladder. Now, is that a blood clot? Well, you start looking carefully, it's really against the wall. So that's going to be a bladder cancer. Here it is again. Um, just a very nice visualization. So again, uh, you can do very well with bladder cancer detection. Again, so much of it is technique, regardless of distension. Now, remember that if you do not distend the bladder well, unless the mass is so bulky, you're not going to make the diagnosis. Let me leave you with one last point. I mentioned before about bladder cancers enhancing, and here was an article that was published by Kim speaking about this. And he made the point, and I'll show you an example first off. You see, you see about 5 o'clock, there's a small, on the one side of your enhancing lesion. That's a bladder cancer. Now, early phase imaging, you will see the enhancement because it's going against the urine. It's subtle enhancement, but it's definite enhancement. And we see this in many bladder cancers. Here's a coronal display of that. So it's important, patients over 50, we do on the arterial phase, the whole abdomen and pelvis, because we want to be able to pick up this bladder cancer. Sometimes the only time you will see the lesion. Now in this case, you can see the lesion seen on excretory phase imaging, fortunately, but uh, you can understand why it becomes so important to do things early. And again, once we see the tumor, we can do all sorts of 3D maps. Here it is, sort of a polypoid lesion hanging out in the bladder, no problem. Another example, subtle enhancing lesion bladder wall. You do studies correctly, distension, water, air, or positive contrast. And I like the neutral contrast better because now I really see the enhancement. If you had positive contrast, you wouldn't appreciate that. So look how nicely you see it about 7 o'clock. You see the lesion. We'll make that about 9 o'clock. See the lesion very nicely there. And of course, when you get the excretory phase, there it is right there. So again, uh, very, very good. Some article sensitivity and specificity uh, in terms of diagnosing perivascular invasion. We're in the 90 to 95% range. And we're actually higher, up to 98%, when patients uh, had a distance between the TERP and the uh, CT. And of course, that is because when you do it very early post-TERP, you see stranding around the, uh, around the uh, bladder and often can simulate the presence of invasion. And you can see in this situation, the results approached 100%. Now, there was a good chart in this article which showed you here that when you're looking at bladder cancer enhancement, the best point was at 60 seconds post-injection, okay? And you can see why. You see the numbers. You compared 40, 60, and 100. Very nice article. Very, very simple. Uh, important to recognize. Um, another article by Kim. Talking about virtual cystoscopy being better than axials and multiplanars, and I think, indeed, in the right situation it is. Uh, Sampalis, you know, found that CT cystoscopy was an accurate technique for bladder cancers, uh, particularly in patients at high risk with identification of lesions smaller than 0.5 centimeters. So we can see very, very small lesions. In fact, in his article, 96% or 55 of 57 bladder lesions recognized that conventional cystoscopy were detected with CT cystoscopy, and these lesions ranged in size from 0.3 to 9.7 centimeters including 18 lesions that were at a diameter of 0.5 centimeters or less.
When you look at the results of Symptopolis, you want to look at his technique. His technique was interesting. Put a catheter in the bladder, drained the urine, and, and used air. He did both supine and prone images, used no IV contrast. The uh, narrow collimators, he did one by one, and did axial MPR, and did the virtual cystoscopy. And again, so you can see that if you want to get the best results, axial loans don't work. You need to do more. Also, in this case, makes the point that distension is critical. The way he did CT cystoscopy is the way you do virtual colonoscopy. Distend it with air, do prone and supine. Now, just a couple other comments. Let me just share a couple interesting cases to end with. This is a neobladder, and we've now done a lot of CT cystoscopy for neobladders. Here you see dilated calyces, loss of cortex. You see the bladder, this neobladder constructed. Here we see it on multiple views. And these patients often have complications. They can have leaks. Uh, you want to look at anastomosis. CT cystoscopy very nicely shows you, in this case, the calyceal dilatation, the dilated ureters, the reimplantation of the ureters. So just a very nice example. It also makes the point there are a lot of good applications. I showed you looking for tumors. I showed you looking for fistulas, patients with ileal loops, patients with reconstructed bladders, neobladders. All of these problems are going to be something we're going to see being done more commonly with CT cystoscopy. Again, thin sections, fast scanning, proper protocols are all critical. And I think if you do that, you're going to have tremendous results. And with that, let me stop there and thank everybody for their attention.